Hello and welcome back to the What The Fourth Sunderland Preview Podcast. Paul City inflicted our first defeat on us this Saturday, but in truth, it was a performance that many of us were very happy with. However, that was the Carabao Cup, as is at the moment. COVID is a little bit of a different season. We're starting with a cup game, but League One is what we really care about. That's what we want to get out of. And our quest for promotion starts this Saturday as we take on Bristol Rovers at the Stadium Alive. To preview the game, we've got Max from Bristol's, uh, Bristol Rovers' very own Gascast. First and foremost, though, Max, how are you doing? Are you all right? I'm very good, cheers. Thanks for having me on. I almost said Bristol City there. Can you believe you that? You did. <laughs> I can believe it. It happens all the time, mate. No worries. <laughs> Jesus. Terrible. Terrible. I like, like, like the, that's the worst way to introduce it. It's like saying to me, and we've got Graham from the Newcastle United. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, honestly, um, it's, it's better than people who just say Bristol. <laughs> uh, it just reminds oh, me right up. Uh, all the time, like, you get it. Never say Dundee to a Dundee United fan. I've learned my yeah. lesson with that one. Learned my lesson <laughs> with that one. Um, first things first, football's back in a way, um, watching it on a stream, which was a bit weird. How did you find watching on a stream on Saturday? Yeah, it was um, it was different, um, but you know, I kind of we've gotten used to. I follow from last season anyway, from like the midweek games. You can obviously watch if you're away from home. Um, yeah, the I follow games. So I was kind of used to the I follow system. It was a bit weird there being no fans there, but again, I'm kind of a bit used to that as well because it's kind of been the norm for a few months. Um, so yeah, it was certainly weird watching Rovers playing in an empty stadium, but it didn't take long before I was kind of focused on the football rather than the crowd or the atmosphere. Yeah, I think I, I kind of didn't even notice that there wasn't a crowd noise on the iFollow. I just kind of, eventually, once your team's attacking, you just you just live with it, don't you? Just get on with it. And I think um, whatever this new normal is, I think it might be this for a little while, but hoping the fans are back in, in October, however that's going to be. Um, but on the performance, uh, lost 3-0 at Whipswich. What did you make of the game? Um, it was It was really surprising how poor defensively we were. Um, mm. I thought this season our struggles would be um, certainly not at the back. Uh, we've recruited quite well, um, as we'll obviously go on to talk about. But mm-hmm. um, I'm certainly really pleased with our defensive work in pre-season, our defensive shape. Um, we play three centre-backs and they're all pretty solid uh, pros who I, I would not really back to make many mistakes. Yeah. And it was just schoolboy defending. And I was really, really taken aback by how easily Ipswich scored all three goals, um, two balls over the top and their runners just completely outpaced our, our, our centre-backs um, and just played a ball across the face of the goal for an easy tap-in. And then the other goal was an unmarked header from a corner. So I was just really angry at how poor we were defensively. Um, I obviously expected us to struggle in front of goal because we'd obviously lost Johnson Clark Harris last week. Yeah. Um, but we did create a few chances and I was not displeased with how we did it in possession. But out of possession, we were surprisingly poor yeah because i mean obviously 3-0 defeat kind of tells some of the story from a, a someone who watched not a second of the game but you had obviously max Aimer, jack baldwin and kilger at the back um three experienced defenders one of them your new captain so was it like a lack of pace you were saying balls over the top or was it a case of i mean i'm looking yeah. at the twitch's team here they haven't even got like um norwood or or um anyone actually that I've noticed that they would normally play up front. I don't know if that was due to injury or what, but yeah. So what what, what was it that was going wrong with it? Yeah, they've got this new forward, uh, not new, he's from their youth academy, I believe, called Aaron Drynan. Um, and he's been really prolific in pre-season for them. And he was a menace, but I wouldn't say he was 
too quick. I, I wouldn't say he was like a rapid forward, yeah. but they just, um, you know, we play our, our wing backs quite high, especially in possession. Um, and just in losing possession, I don't think our centre backs were particularly mobile enough in, in getting into the right areas to cover mm. cover the space. And they just exploited that and they knew that they were going to exploit that. And they did it from quite an early point in the game and just got their runners wide um, in the channels um, had our defenders backtracking or, or over the top and done for pace at times uh, it was just really poor and disorganized and you know we put we had put in a really good performance display against Cardiff City uh, a week ago um, and they you know they had some really experienced uh, forwards in their squad um, you know they they had uh, Kiefer Moore up front and we managed to keep him quiet for for 70 minutes so I was you know really surprised that we were that weak defensively um, it was just not what I expected at all. I, I thought we, I thought we'd probably lose maybe one nil or draw one one. But I wasn't expecting to concede three. No. Yeah, because I'm looking at the formation here. You've got like a, and, and you can correct me on this, but it looks to me like a three four two one almost with Nicholson and Hargreaves behind Mitchell Lawson. Um, did you have Little and, and Lee? I'm guessing we're playing more like wing backs as opposed to wingers. Yeah, that's right. So you described the shape perfectly there. It's uh, it's three four two one. Yeah, um, and there's almost like two number tens behind uh, a striker, which is um, how Coventry played last season. And I think the manager's obviously quite fond of the way Coventry played. They won the league, um, and he quite likes the system, so he's he's kind of recruited for it. Yeah, and um, the wing backs obviously have to be very mobile, have to, have to have a good engine and get up and down that pitch both defensively and they're obviously integral in possession as well. Um, they just didn't backtrack enough, I don't think so. That's particular. That's why they kind of exposed our left hand side. We were playing Kilgore, who's a right footed centre back on the left hand side. Mm. He kind of struggled on his weaker foot a little bit, so it was a real area that they targeted um, and found a great deal of joy out of. Um, the formation itself, I, I quite like. It's very fluid. Um, the two centre mids are quite mobile. The wing backs obviously provide the width, and then the front three have to be very fluid. Um, and interchange with each other. And even though we lost Clark Harris, I thought Mitchell Lawson, both against Cardiff in preseason and against uh, Ipswich, were actually, he was actually really good as a false nine, despite being a winger. Yeah, um, he's, he's got a really low sense of gravity, kind of you know the the dribbler kind of mould, um, creates space for others. So he's been really good. But you know, obviously, we need a, a physical presence there, and I would prefer Mitchell Lawson to be in one of the, the number ten roles. So yeah, there's there's certainly areas that we can tweak and improve we certainly have to improve if we're going to be competitive. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And I think um, one thing I was actually really impressed with when I'm looking through, uh, so you, was your summer recruitment, basically, to be honest with you. And it's, I suppose it's not so surprising to hear that there was a poor performance when it came to the defence because you lost 3-0. I guess that's not, doesn't make too much of a surprise. But that's where I was most impressed with your, your sort of summer recruitment. I'm looking through the players you brought in here. And obviously we've mentioned uh Max Amer and Jack Baldwin. But Jack Baldwin is someone we know really, really well. And to be honest with you, he started off really, really well with us in the first sort of six months before falling away rapidly. And it was almost like he couldn't really perform in front of big crowds. But there's a lot of Sunderland fans, or, or a good amount of Sunderland fans that were disappointed he wasn't given more of an opportunity last season before he went to, to Salford. Because he played in our win at Burnley in the Cup, which is obviously Premier League. Um, and I think he was sort of quite harshly threat after one particularly bad performance where he effectively never played again apart from once, which was the Burnley game. So he went to Salford, injured an awful lot. He's gone to Bristol Rovers, which 
a lot of people thought it was a really good move for him. What have you made of him in pre-season, aside from the game, obviously, on Saturday? Yeah, I've, I've not been disappointed with him. I think he's not really been tested too much in pre-season. We played a lot of League Two and um, non-league clubs. It was yeah. only when we played Cardiff City that we really got a good look at him. Um, and I liked him. He, he was pretty solid. He kept Kiefer more quiet. He was good on the ball, um, which is kind of what we need from our centre-backs. He was yeah. mobile. Um, he didn't do anything wrong. And to be honest, in the, in the Ipswich game, he didn't do anything wrong either. Um, he started the game at uh, centre of a back three. Um, Aimer to his right, Kilgore to his left, which surprised me. I thought Kilgore would be more central and uh, Aimer would be kind of the, the anchor man. Yeah, but, um, he he played centrally and he didn't really do much wrong. I think I think the wide centre backs were what let let us down. So so far so good for him, really. If I'm honest, and with Max Aimer as well, he's had obviously a, a really good career at Gillingham. Uh, he's came in as captain as well. I don't think that's that surprising because I think he was captain down at Gillingham as well. Obviously, he's, he's vastly experienced with his time at QPR. Also, really impressive with Gillingham last season. Every time I've seen him, actually annoyingly impressive. Uh, what have you made of of him as well? Yeah, he's kind of what we expected him to be. He's just an absolute uh, boss of a centre-back who kind of commands the back line and just wins everything in the air. Um, annoyingly, I think he kind of struggled for pace a little bit out wide in that right centre-back role. Yeah. I want to see him central. I don't want him... I don't really trust his mobility. Um, albeit I've only seen glimpses of him, a few games of his, of his play, but he doesn't particularly look the quickest. Um, I kind of would like Baldwin right centre-back you know, Aimer, Aimer at the heart of defence where he kind of will thrive like he did for Gillingham. Um, and then Kean Harry's left centre back or Alfie Kilgore, albeit Kilgore struggling on his on his left on his left foot. So I, no, we've got a left left footed uh, centre back in Kean Harry's who's also impressed in pre season. So um that would be the change I would make for, for this game on Saturday. I'd, I'd kind of reshuffle that back line to get it a bit more organised because I'm I'm not really sure what the game plan was with that back three because you know Aimer didn't particularly strike me as someone who who can cover that kind of ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of I think with him, I'd like to see him go back to what he's best at and what he did well at Gillingham, and I think that's that's where we're going to get the best out of him. Because it's completely new looking at your defence. I mean, the team that you played against us, uh, obviously when you won two 0 just before lockdown last game, which seems like an age ago. Um, obviously you had Craig at the back, but he's gone now, hasn't he? He's he's gone to Crawley. Yeah, he was Craig was one of our highest earners at the club. Um, he was 35, I think, at the time yeah. we released him. So he's he's a proper veteran. And he was one of my player of the seasons last season. Make no mistake about it. I just think that he's not good in possession. He's a traditional mm-hmm. no-nonsense centre-back um, who's very limited on the ball and not very mobile. And when you play a flat-back four, you can kind of depend on him. But I think the manager wanted to play a back three. He wanted more mobility, more on-the-ball ability as well. And Craig just didn't fit that. And when you kind of couple in the fact that he's 35, he's one of our highest earners. I think the decision to release him w- was the right decision. Uh, and he's got himself a good club in Crawley Town. So, uh, you know, I think he'll, he's got a few more years left in him at a professional level for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the signings that I looked at that you made that really intrigued me, and I don't know if that's just the part of the world that I live in or, or have done for quite a while, was, was Sam Nicholson, because it was a player that I watched quite a lot when he was at Hearts. Um, he kind of 
came to prominence during Hearts getting relegated. Well, not the most recent relegation, the one before, um, when they kind of fell through the league and went into the championship and came back and blooded all like their young players um, towards the end of their Premier League season and then obviously into the championship. And he, he did really, really well, did Sam Nicholson. Um, I think he, he chipped in with close to double figures, I think, in the Scottish Championship and was about 19, 20 coming through. He, he made a move to Colorado, um, which is maybe not a usual move for someone as young. Uh, sometimes seen, I suppose, as a bit of a, a retirement home sometimes over there in, in America. But he's came back, uh, I definitely think from memory, he's League One level. Um, have you seen much of him in pre-season? What, what, what's, he, what's he like since he's come back? Yeah, he looks a real find. He's a, he's a real quality player on the ball. Um, unpredictable, good dribbling and movement. Pretty strong for someone his height. Um, I'm not really sure how the signing came about because, like you say, it's a bit of an odd one to come um, from America. I, th- I think basically he wanted to come back to the UK. In truth, um, ideally Scotland, um, but I think he also kind of had an urge to play in the English pyramid um, and test himself and, and try and climb up towards the Premier League. I think that's his ambition. He's 25, so he's still got his best years ahead of him if he can continue to develop. Um, and I think basically Hearts offered him a deal um, and then maybe we caught wind of it and, and offered him better terms mm-hmm. and he chose to move to us um, on a two-year deal. So I think that's the kind of background of the move. In terms of what he's like, he, I've been really impressed with him. Um, I think he's probably been our best signing. Um, it's early days, but he he broke through pretty easily one-on-one against Ipswich. His shot was straight at the keeper, unfortunately, but his movement is really promising gets into dangerous areas. And I think behind a proper striker, him and Mitchell Lawson are going to find a great deal of joy in attacking areas. So he's, he's a signing I was, I was really impressed with when it happened. And I'm going to be keeping a close eye on how he does because um, he's had a lot of big praise from both Hearts fans and, and Rapids fans as well. Yeah, I mean, looking at the, the signing, I don't know if just because it's a player that I've watched, but I was... I was quite taken back because I remember back in the day at Hearts, I always felt he looked like a decent championship player. There was sort of himself at Hearts and it was Barry Mackay at Rangers. Barry Mackay obviously going on to play for Swansea and I think Nottingham Forest and so on and so forth. And obviously Fleetwood last season as well. Um, but looking at, obviously, being over with, I think it was Minnesota originally in Colorado. Um, he's played regularly for them, but hasn't maybe scored as regular as he did for, for Hearts. But I think... For any Sunderland fans listening, it's a song I've watched maybe a few years ago. I definitely think he he could potentially be a, a danger man. Um, who's outside of your new signings? Which players do you think you know have shone most through preseason? Is anyone that's made like an unexpected return to form that you think could actually turn it round? We've got that little bit of Will Greg, so yeah, it's it's tough. I mean. <laughs> If you'd asked me a week ago, I could have given you a couple of names, but then <laughs> those same players throw absolute stinkers against against uh, Ipswich. So As it happens. <laughs> it does, it's, uh, you know that's that's why it was really disappointing that, that Ipswich result. I was expecting a lot better. Um, so you know, in terms of preseason, there have been a couple. I would, I would probably say uh, Alex Robman stood out. His engine's really good, but he didn't start the game against uh, Ipswich. Uh, Mark Little was was opted for. Um, for his experience, but he didn't have a very good game. Um, Josh Hare's returned from injury. He's a player we picked up from Eastleigh last summer, um, and he was really impressive at right wing back. Um, 25, 26 years old, good pace, great crosser of the ball, one of the best crossers I've seen from right back um, at the club in, in a long, long time. 
And uh, he unfortunately picked up a, a really bad injury around October last year and was out for the season. So it's been good seeing him back in pre-season. He's looked dangerous again. Um, like I said, we've got quite a bit of depth at right wing back. So he featured second half for the last 20 minutes against Ipswich and was relatively dangerous. Um, I think on a bigger pitch, he's going to kind of come into his own. So I'll be interested to see if Mark Little gets dropped for Josh Hare because he's... he's um, particularly impressive, especially into getting into areas with a quick burst of pace and whipping a dangerous cross in. It's just whether we're going to get a target man in before Saturday um, to get on the end of it. That's one of kind of the, the big talking points. By the time this gets released, who knows, this, things could have changed. We've just signed Danny Graham as we go to air, which is something I'm happy about. Some people won't be. It's very much a more might sign in that one. But Johnson Clark Harris would have been my ideal signing if you told me which realistic player could Sunderland have signed to boost the promotion? Johnson Clark Harris would have been the choice. He's got a Peterborough, which I think is a great signing for them, 1.2. But I think it's always easy to look at a player and, and make a judgment on how good or, or bad he is when you watch him twice a season. You've watched him on a regular basis for 18 months. So I think it's obviously a blow because um, he has been your top goal scorer. But, but what did you make of the sale? I think it was the right time to sell him. Um, He had a year left on his contract. Um, We'd offered him new terms for the best part of trying to work out a deal for about six to eight months. Um, Obviously, we made no progress with that. I think maybe he was kind of contemplating whether he would take it or um, assess his options because of the COVID situation. Um, And I think now pre-season has been underway. He's kind of made a decision that he doesn't want to stay. He wants to play championship football. And he obviously sees Peterborough as a better opportunity of, of obtaining that than here. So it's the right move for Jono. He wants to go. Um, when a player wants to go, you kind of got to sell him, especially when you've got a player like Park Carris, who's a big asset, who you can make profit on. Um, the decision was right for the club to, to cash in because in previous years, we've lost our best assets for free. Yeah. or next to nothing in January. And it's been really frustrating because we've lost out on millions of, of pounds, really, because you know we haven't got the contracts right or sold at the right moment. And I think with Jono, on paper, we've sold at the right moment. We've, we've cashed in on his good form. We've got a fee, which I'm personally happy with, given the COVID situation, and it's not really a buyer's market at the minute. 1.2 million is, I think, the most we've received for a player since Ricky Lambert in 2009. So, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, we're not like uh, not like you guys splashing out 4 million on Will Green. So, you know, it's, it's a big fee for us. It allows us to kind of reassess our options in what we can afford this window and, and give us a bit more in the next window as well. So um, it's a big boost in terms of lining the pockets, but, you know, he is our top goal scorer. He will be a big loss. And I think we've already seen um, that we that we kind of missed him on on, on Saturday, um, albeit we conceded three. Um, he was a big miss because he's kind of a focal point. Um, it's difficult because, you know, he's he's a player who, when when form is good and the mood is good in camp, he's he's great, but he does love a sulk and he is a bit of an ego on the pitch, which can work in your favour, but it can also yeah. be detrimental to the mood of the squad or, um, you know, he's kind of got star man syndrome and that can be good. And it was certainly good under Graham Coughlin because he knew how to get the best out of him. But under Ben Garner, I don't think they had the same working relationship. It kind of looked like he didn't want to be here um, and it was the right time to sell. But he's certainly a player who can win you a game you don't deserve to be winning. Um, 
which is a very, very valuable asset. And he's he's a good buy for Peterborough, um, especially given the fact that they've lost Ivan Tony as well. I'm sure he'd do well for them. Yeah, I think he's probably the best replacement you could get for the kind of money that maybe Peterborough want to spend. Because I think it's it's known that Peterborough will bring in a big amount of money for certain players, but they won't splash out anything that isn't going to potentially bring in a big amount of money. So 1.2 is even relatively big for them, I think, from memory. But he is going to need to be replaced. And you obviously touched on it previously as well, that you know Mitchell Lawson is not in any way, shape, or the form a similar sort of player, although that was who played up front on Saturday. So in a realistic world, who would be the guy that you'd want to bring in to sort of take the number nine shirt? Or is there someone that you're already linked to that could be in on Saturday? Or There have been surprisingly very, very few rumours um, mm. at all. So I, your guess is really as good as mine. I was looking at a couple when he went that were available. Um, Reese Healy was, was mentioned from MK yeah. Dons. He went to Toulouse, so um, that was a bit of an odd move. But yeah, I, strange I think, move that, yeah. Yeah, I, I think he would have been a good choice, but I don't really know if he would have been affordable, especially because, you know, the fee of 1.2 million is quite public. You yeah. club saying, well, give us 1 million for this player. You kind of have lost all your profit. Um, so you kind of want to re- replace smartly. I can, I can see us getting a loan in um, to sort of get us through this season and then get a quality replacement in next summer. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a season where we're trying to build. We've got a lot of new players, a lot of which are young. We've got a new manager, a new philosophy. So we're kind of trying to build something and it's not going to be immediate success. So if we can get someone in to kind of cover cover the um, that position for this year, I think that will be good. I'm not sure who it would be. I mean, I could tell you who I'd like. I don't think mm-hmm. we'll get him. I, th- I would really like Marlon Force. But I think mm-hmm. every League One club will say the same. Yeah. Maybe. Brilliant for... <laughs> Brilliant for Wimbledon last season. I'm, I'm not sure if he'll even move to, to League One, if I'm honest. I can see someone like Barnsley or Luton coming in for him on loan. Um, a Tyler Walker was one I was really keen on, but then he moved to Coventry. Um, yeah, other than that, there's no real realistic targets who I can really think of. Um, it's a tough one. And I think the thing is, with the scouting team will have known that this, is a, this would have been an eventuality for a long time. So, you know, this is not something that's surprised us. We, we've known that Johnson Clark Harris was eventually going to leave and we will have a plan. It's just obviously negotiations are probably ongoing and, and very under, under wraps at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it wasn't anyone, no one was surprised outside of Bristol Rovers that Clark Harris went as well. I think pretty much anyone in League One would have would have wanted him, especially in the sort of top six. Um when it comes to Bristol Rovers, it's it's a bit of a weird one because I've looked at, you know, last season, obviously um your manager went to Mansfield, if if I believe is that correct? That's right, yeah. Which was a really weird move at the time, but I think it had something to do with his, his family, if I remember rightly. Um yeah. well at the time you left, I'm sure you were about fifth or sixth off top and one of the strongest sides in the league. And, and I know the league was very tight last year, but when Ben Garner took over, you, you sort of plummeted and you, you touched there before. It feels that like it's a season of consolidation for, for Bristol Rovers. Is there a little bit of frustration with the fact that you could have maybe done more than just consolidate last season and you've changed your style of play and now you have to reassess what you want to do? Or is there, is there a bit of understanding with, with Rovers fans? It's kind of mixed, to be honest. I would say some some fans are, are very understanding of the situation and others are rightly maybe rightly aggrieved we were fourth in the league I think when um, right. when Coughlin chose to leave he wanted to be closer to his family 
um, so who live on Sheffield. So um, I can understand why he left. It couldn't have been possibly at a worse time. And I'm not sure. It must have been a really, really dire situation for him um, personally to, to have left the club who were fourth in League One to a team struggling in League Two. So it must have been a really, really personal situation for him. So I can I can understand why he left. It must have been pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Um, yeah. The replacement, Ben Garner, on paper, is he's a great coach. There's a lot of praise for him. He seems to be a young up-and-coming guy who wants to play an attractive brand of football. Is he the right guy long-term for us? Potentially. I've obviously yet to see him manage a full season of football. And I certainly like the kind of football he wants to play. But was he the right man to take over at Christmas last year, given that we were kind of a bit more rough and ready, more long ball, more more of a nasty non-footballing side. I don't think he was the right man. No, I think Ian Holloway was, was the obvious replacement. He obviously went to Grimsby, but I think, you know, he's a Rovers legend. He wanted the move. He kind of wouldn't have changed much. So I think maybe he would have uh, continued the good work and, and, and seen us potentially reach playoffs. Um, but it's hard to say. And then the board obviously wanted to change the style of football. They weren't happy with it. I personally don't think it was it was sustainable, and I think we probably would have dropped to about twelfth under Coughlin. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of bad injuries shortly after he left, um, or pretty much as he left, there were some injuries in the camp already. So he kind of left at the best possible time for him, and Ben Garner took over at the worst possible time for him. So it was it's kind of one of those that looks really bad, and you can say, oh, he's taken over, and he's he's only won two in eighteen games, but the squad. Was was not the depth in the squad was pretty bad. We had some bad injuries. We had a tough run of games. I think we played. I can't remember. Was it nine games in 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 twenty days or something? Yeah, not, I can't remember. Nine, I, I, nine I games in twenty one days. Yeah, I do half remember that. Yeah, something, that. something really really <clears throat> intense, and we had a lot of injuries. So when you go on a bad run like that, it's hard to recover. I do have some sympathy for him. Um, but I think it's not as straightforward as it looks on paper. There are a lot of variables at play as to why we went on such a bad run. The injuries, the you know, the fixture list, the congestion, the Garner. There was obviously a bit of naivety in him as well because he wanted to play a different brand of football when arguably he should have stuck with what worked. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of factors, and I think this season consolidation is kind of a, the aim. The yeah. manager will probably say different because all managers want to aim for the, for the best, but. I think a successful campaign would be finishing about the same as we did last season, about 14th, yeah, um, and improving and developing the players we have. With them, um, with Ben Garner as well, and I, I don't mean this in because I've been in League One for now the third season, so I feel like I know the division quite well. But one thing I've noticed with recently, and it's not to say this is, is right or wrong, it's just to simply ask the question, I guess. But I noticed that there's a few teams want to play that possession-based style of football and kind of like, you know, keeping the ball. And to me, that makes sense. The more you have the ball, the less likely the other team are to score. Uh, it's, it's simply put on playing through the channels and so on and so forth can sort of be a really attractive clever way of playing football. But Rochdale tried to do it last season and really it just didn't work. They were the worst side that I saw come to the stadium like last year by by an absolute margin. They, they were absolutely terrible and were the masters of their own downfall nine times out of ten. So Ben Garner's obviously more along the line of from what I've seen, you know, fluid possession based football. Do you think that it's possible to play one style of football in League One or do you think you need to just mix it up a little bit across the board? 
That's a good question. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you do need variety. and You certainly need um, different plans for different opponents. I think the, my concern, my biggest concern with Ben Garner is that he wants to play this way of football, this possession style, this formation that we've seen in preseason. He's played every single game. Um, and it just I'm just worried about what the plan B is. Um, we've got yeah. good flexibility in the squad and we've got we've got the players to change it up if we need to, but we haven't seen any evidence of him changing style. Um, and we did change shape 70 minutes into the new season, which is always a worry when you've spent all of preseason working on a certain shape. So then change it because you're 3-0 down is, is obviously admitting that it's not working. So I'm, I'm worried about what our plan B is and if, if we're going to be able to play a different way and how we're going to play against tougher opponents. I think he wants to just try and outpass everyone and outpossession everyone. I'm not sure if that's going to work or not. It's, it's kind of going to be one of those. We're going to have to wait and see how this, this formation pans out. Yeah. If it doesn't work, can we go back to the Coughlin style of playing it long? Certainly not without a big man up front. Um, the rest of the personnel, we've got there for it if we need to, for sure. Um, we've got, on paper, a pretty robust defence. Decent enough fullbacks, uh, strong midfield options. Um, so yeah, I think we could maybe revert to a more—I don't want to say primitive, but like you know, traditional English uh, style and brand of football to grind out results if we wanted to. I just have concerns over, over whether the manager is going to be stubborn enough in wanting to play his way that he would uh, change it up to to compensate for that. Yeah, because he seems to have, and again, I don't know the guy, but he seems to be setting his ways of what he wants. I think I read somewhere about him, because he worked under, was he mentored by Mourinho, I think, at one point, about 2014 or something? Yeah, he was, briefly, and when he was doing his coaching badges, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah that's right, that's correct. I knew I'd read something like that, and he's, I think originally he'd been injured, uh, like a serious injury, which made that he couldn't play football like for a long time, and yeah, he went into coaching because I think essentially... He didn't feel the young players were getting enough technical and, and tactical coaching or weren't being done correctly. So he obviously has a way of how he thinks it should be done. And it's going to be quite hard to, to budge on that. But I think, I don't know, I found in League One, long ball doesn't always work. Um, possession doesn't always work. It really feels like a, as a Sunderland fan, it's a bloody tough league to get out of and, it, and it, sometimes a tough league to compete in as well. But one big thing I want to touch on with um, with Ben Garner, which I was really impressed with. Um, obviously, last year we had the situation with Billy Key. Um, he, at that point then, obviously has retired due to his, you know, the issues he was having with his mental health. And I think everyone really rallied around him. But no one really knows the reason for it. And that doesn't matter. But I believe Ben Garner took a bit of time out last year. And Bristol Rovers were superbly supportive of that with, with that last year. Um, am I right in saying that? Yeah, he had um, he had a, a family member in, in hospital, and that was all that was said about it. Um, yeah. The family member was 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 ill or unwell, um, and he had to take time off, and that was completely understandable. That sort of thing, you kind of think, well, football's not really yeah. important at the minute, is it? You know, we're whatever in in League One, and we're not going to get relegated. So even if we were, it wouldn't matter because you know, it's, it's obviously family comes first. So yeah. Um, I think the whole fan base were understanding of, of him needing to take some absence. I think in the in the end it was only three games um, he was he was away for. Um, yeah, I mean it's, it's great to see the whole of football rallying behind it, and and you know, those kind of things take precedence. Um, and even with COVID, when COVID came in, yeah, I think it just showed. Obviously, it's it's, it's different when you're top of the league or or you're chasing promotion. Um, 
to have a season end early but you know it just put a lot of things in perspective for me because I was really angry about our decline in form and how badly we were doing and then this wave of COVID hit and then it's almost like you know people are losing loved ones and you know people are in football and out of football are, are going down with this horrible illness so yeah yeah there's, there's some great work going on to to support you know people both with mental health with personal issues and with covid and um you know it's times like that that you kind of see the best out of, out of this community yeah absolutely uh, 100% agree with you yeah and I think it's definitely worth touching on obviously what happened with with Ben last year because I think it's great to see your football club support that. Mm. and obviously the fans yeah. would always back it I think because we as fans, we understand that, but great to see the club as well do that too. Um, one of the things with, with sort of Sunderland, I, I always find probably the most interesting part of these chats are who you find are, are most dangerous players and which players you know you're worried about where you think we can damage you because often it's very very different to what we we feel. But which players are you not looking forward to coming up against? And where can we where can we damage you on on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm particularly worried about uh, Lyndon Gooch and Chris Maguire. They've always seemed to cause us problems when you guys play us, and um, I'm not uh, sure what shape you guys are going to play. But if if you play a front three, if, like uh, Ipswich did, I think um, I think that's going to cause us problems in the channels. Gooch is obviously a, a tremendous talent. I've, I've, every time I've seen him play, he's, he's caused us issues and. Um, his dribbling and his, his, some of the goals he scored last season were, were really, really, um, you know, when he gets in those areas on the edge of the box, he, he causes us problems. And I think we saw against Ipswich that the likes of uh, Aaron Drynan and, and um, Freddie Sears called us no end of problems. And I kind of see Chris McGuire as, as, as a constant threat. He's, he's a very experienced pro at this level, scored a lot of goals um, for a range of clubs. And, you know, he's, he's a player who every time... I see Sunderland win. He's usually on the score sheet, um, yeah. usually against us as well. So, um, so yeah, probably him and Gooch. But you know, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of quality players, and you know, every time we've played you, it's been a challenge. I think the the win we had against you before the break was a real surprise to me because um, obviously we've been on a dreadful run. I was going to that game thinking, you know, we're going to get a hammering, but um, yeah, it was a really solid display from us and. Um, a not very good night f- for your boys but um, so, you're saying Will Griggs sort of come back into form yeah I mean he, he missed a decisive penalty on um, on Saturday but you can't you can't make too much of that he looked he looked like a different player to be honest he was getting on the end of things he had two disallowed goals uh, I think they were both probably rightly disallowed but like they weren't cast iron I suppose um, there'll be people that disagree with me at least on the second one and obviously we brought Danny Graham in today as well which Again, it's very Marmite because of his his career. Last time he was with us, he scored like one goal in about 40 games, but obviously proven in the championship with, with Blackburn and maybe not the right side of 30. But nonetheless, I don't think you necessarily have to be in this division. So there's plenty, of, oh, there should be plenty of firepower there if they play at their potential, yeah. Yeah. Should be. But then again, it is Sunderland, uh, which we need to remember. So I suppose last thing's... I never get this right. I never ever get this right. But last things is obviously score prediction. Um, what are your thoughts for Saturday? What what are you gonna you go with? Uh, I'm concerned with with the strength you have up front. I think it's going to cause us a lot of problems. Like you said, Danny Graham's just come in. Griggs seems to be in good form. You've got Maguire and Gooch, some really good attacking players. Um, and I think given how much we struggled at the back against Ipswich. 
unless we can sort it out and figure out what went wrong and fix it, I think we're going to be in for um, another another difficult day uh, defensively. Whether we can score enough goals to make it a competitive fixture, I'm, I have doubts. Obviously, we don't have a lot of physicality up front. We've got Jonah Younger, who's coming from Haven't and Waterlooville, but he's never played a league game before. Mm-hmm. Um, despite being a very physical physical player. So I can see us maybe starting him um, unless we bring in another striker and then have Mitchell Lawson and Nicholson playing off him. We do have the potential to cause problems, but I don't think it's going to be enough uh, against you guys. So I'm going to go with Sunderland 3, Bristol Rovers 1. I'll take that, but I'll take a very nervy 1-0 win for Sunderland, I think. And I'm going to go Will Grigg. I'm going to go with Will Grigg. I hope, I hope I'm right. Um, but Max... Thanks so much for coming on. Before, obviously, I do let you go. For people who want to catch up on your podcast, where can we find you? Um, We are GasCast Podcast. We are on our website, gascastpodcast.co.uk, but we're also on Spotify and iTunes if you just search for GasCast. Uh, Yeah, if you guys want to check that out, that'd be great. Fantastic. Max, thanks very much. And uh, enjoy Saturday, but not too much. (laughs) Thanks, man.